before coming to Bowling Green for this particular meeting. I don't know that I'd ever been in Bowling Green. I've been into and through Kentucky several times, but didn't know very much about the congregation here except that you were um, enticing enough and interesting enough that Neil left a really good place to be here. That impressed me about you. And then a short time after that, you got Hiram out of Florida to come here, and I thought they must have something really special happening in Bowling Green to get two guys like that. It says a lot about you that you could attract two men like that and see the point of having two really good preachers in one place. That just says a lot about you. I do think a lot about you, and uh, just what I've seen since I've been here has made me uh, made an impression on me. Thank you for having me and my boys. I'm going to try one more time to talk with you about this idea of balance. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and of course we do want to begin our thoughts for this lesson in verse number 12. But I'll just remind you in the first 11 verses of the chapter, Paul has been talking about this idea of spiritual gifts. And he's made the point that not everybody's going to have the ability to do miraculous things in their service to God. And not everyone who is endowed with miraculous abilities by the Holy Spirit is going to be able to do the very same thing. And so he concludes those thoughts in verse number 11. And he says, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as one as he will. So the idea is that the Holy Spirit of God decides who to empower with certain abilities. And the folks who have these various abilities are supposed to serve, of course, the church, serving the Lord and serving his people, but not everyone being the same. And that idea he takes forward with him in verse 12. I remind you of that because you'll see verse 12 begins for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ for in one spirit. We are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The word for. In verse 12 connects what he's saying after that with what he said before that. The idea that he has in mind in these verses is that God has exactly one body. The one body. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, there is exactly one body. Jesus only died to purchase one church. Everybody in the world who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ is a part of one body, the body of Jesus Christ. The thing that's important about that in terms of our balance, we need to see that there is this unity. There's a dualism in the church. There is this unity, this absolute oneness, though in the body there is incredible diversity. I think that's a spectacular thing. There's only one, but everybody in the one is not exactly the same. And guess what? Not intended to be the same by Jesus Christ. Not intended to be the same. The same way the Holy Spirit didn't intend to endow everyone with the same abilities, but the abilities came from one spirit and are meant to operate in one body. So it is with the members of the church. Not everyone has the exact same abilities, but there's still only one. Christ has one body. Paul uses a parallel here 
You see, he says here in verse number 12, just as the body is one and has many members, he's talking about a physical body. And his idea here is that everybody understands this basic concept when we look at the physical body. My body, your body is made up of various parts, many parts, diverse parts, different parts with different abilities, different intentional capabilities intended that way by God's design, but all part of the one body. You've heard the the Latin saying maybe, e pluribus unum, out of the many, just one. So we have a lot of different, there was a time when I knew this, but I think you had 208 bones in your body, and I forget all the different kinds of systems and all you have, but all that wonderful diversity, all of that intentional design, you look at that and you wonder at it, and it's all still just one body. So if we can understand that about our physical bodies, then we can understand and appreciate that about the spiritual body of Christ. That's the connection that Paul makes here. There is, it's just like the one physical body. The body of Christ. And he says in verse number 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And some translations will say by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. So the one spirit of God through his influence has moved us all to be baptized. We've all submitted to baptism through the influence of the Spirit of God. Not in a miraculous way like some people might suppose, but the Holy Spirit of God moved men and those men recorded and preached the gospel. People heard that and submitted to it, and you and I are still benefiting from that work today. It's the Holy Spirit's influence that calls us out of the world. And when we come out of the world, you know where we all land? In the One body. And he makes reference to the kind of diversity, one kind of diversity you see in the one body of Christ here. Now, he's talked about different kinds of spiritual gifts before, but that's not his primary concern at this point. Look what he says in verse 13. Into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, all were made to drink of one spirit. People have different cultural backgrounds, Jews and Greeks. You know, the world, as far as the Jews were concerned, was just two groups of people. You were either Jewish or you weren't. You were either a Jew or you were a pagan. And listen, the Greeks kind of thought of the world the same way. You were either a Greek or a barbarian. You were one of us or you're not. It doesn't matter how you can divide the world. And men have come up with a lot of ways to divide the world. In the end, you're either in the one body or you're not. And it just doesn't matter about your cultural background. It just doesn't matter. If you come out of the world and you come into Christ, you're going to land in the same place everybody else who's come out of the world has landed. It doesn't matter what you look like. He says slave or free. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter what your social standing is. You want to come out of this world? You want to come into Christ? You're going to land in one body because there's one spirit And his influence leads everyone to the same place. Christ only has one body. And so as a consequence of the spirit's influence, people come out of the world with their different backgrounds, different linguistic backgrounds and family backgrounds and social backgrounds and cultural backgrounds and 
academic backgrounds, all the kinds of differences that we have, all this wonderful diversity that we have in the world. Everybody comes into the self-same place because there's only one place to come. God has only given us one body. And we're all made to drink, he says, of this one spirit. We're all made to enjoy the benefits and the blessings that are brought about by the spirit of God and his activity in the world. Isn't that good news? I mentioned this a couple of days ago, I think it was, that before I had become a Christian, there were lots of people in the Lord's church that I just wouldn't have had any time for. And I don't know how you how you took that, but here's what I meant by that. There just were people that if I didn't have a real reason to talk to and associate with, I just wouldn't have. And I imagine you're similar. If I live in a certain neighborhood, you know who I talk to? The people in my neighborhood. If I worked in a certain place, you know who I sort of deal with? The people that I work with. And, and I would talk to people based upon how my life brought me into contact with them. And those were my friends and my associates. But now, because of Christ, I have other reasons to interact with people with uh, people who with whom I have nothing else in common but Christ. And it's enough. It's more than enough. People I have never met in my life have taken me into their homes and treated me like family. Let me sleep in their own beds. People I've never met before. And I've done the same. I mean, we just there's nothing about us that would have suggested that we would ever treat each other that way. But Christ out of one out of many comes the one. There's only the one body. That kind of unity is what God is looking for in the church. Unity in this great diversity. Look at verse number 14. The diversity that we find in the church and there is a lot of diversity Spiritual gifts and cultural background and social status and all that and more than that. But it's intentional. It's not accidental. Verse number 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Wasn't this interesting? Now, he's uh, Paul is doing something here. He's given the individual parts of our physical body uh, capacities that they don't really have. But he's saying, what if the individual parts of our physical body could perceive themselves were self-conscious and could compare themselves to other parts of the body? That would create an interesting dynamic, wouldn't it? He says. If the foot, verse number 15, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. You know, the hand and the foot <clears throat> sometimes treated a little differently. We walk on our feet and uh, maybe some of us don't take the best care of our feet. You know why? Because we don't have to look at our feet and uh, we cover our feet. But our hands are a little more prominent. We do things with our hands that maybe we value a little more than just standing up or ambulating, walking around and uh, my lady friends, maybe they paint their fingernails. They don't they may paint their toes, too, but they don't have to. But if they paint their fingernails because people are going to see their fingernails, they're just more prominent. We put rings on our fingers and we do things to kind of draw attention to our hands. We do a lot less of that with our feet. 
And if the feet could be conscious of the distinction in treatment between the hand and the foot, the hand might say, you know what? If I can't be a hand, I'm not going to participate in the body. If I can't get the kind of treatment that the hand gets, if people won't look to me like they look to the hand, I don't think I want to do this at all. But then he says, if the foot could do that, that is not going to change the fact that the foot is still a part of the body. And then he says, listen to this. He says, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. His idea is, listen, the ear, we think our ears are we think our ears are kind of necessary, don't we? We like hearing and all that. But you know what? I've never heard somebody come up and say he has beautiful ears. <laughs> I've just never heard anybody say that. I've never heard a guy a person ask, what did you like about her? Man, I was just taken by her ears. As soon as I saw her, I knew she was the one the way she heard me when I talked. I, I've never seen that before. But the eyes are more prominent. Don't we notice things about people's eyes, the color of the eyes and all that? And we are sometimes taken with the eye and the eye gets a little bit more attention. And maybe we respect the idea of seeing even more than we do hearing. We fear losing our sight more than we do losing our hearing. Both are important, but we have greater concern for the one than the other. And if the ear could be self-conscious... And realize that people paid more attention to the eye, the ear might say, you know what, I'm not going to participate in the body anymore. That doesn't make it any less a part of the body. This diversity that we see in our physical members, this is intentional. Could you imagine if the body were just a giant eyeball rolling around on the ground? We give all that attention to the eye. What if the eye was the whole body? How impressive would that be? It probably wouldn't be very impressive at all. What's the point? God has uh, given us diversity in the body, and that diversity is important. What the eye does doesn't happen in isolation. The eye perceives images and feeds those images to the brain, and the brain can process those images and then transmit messages to other parts of the body. And so in response to something that the eye perceives, the brain can tell the hand to do a thing or the foot to do a thing. And you know what? Even before you realize that it's happening, reflexes, your body will respond. And guess what? The eye cannot respond for itself. It can just perceive. You need everybody, every part. You need you need every member. For the value of the eye to really be manifest. Is this making sense to you what I'm saying about your physical body? God didn't make every part to be the same and do the same thing that's intentional. The value of each member is in its relationship to the other members. If you take the eye out, and I've seen this, I don't know if you've been in a science class, take the eye out and put it in a jar somewhere, it just doesn't do the same thing. But when you keep it in the context of the whole body, that's where its value is fully realized. And so here's the thing. The same is true. The same is true. In the body of Christ, not everyone does the same thing. Not everyone is intended to do the same thing. 
if everybody did do the same thing, we'd lose our individual value. There's value in the fact that not everyone in the church at Corinth was endowed with miraculous abilities. There was value in that. There was value in the fact that those who were endowed with miraculous abilities didn't all have the same miraculous abilities. There was value in that. There was value in the fact that there were in the congregation there some who were uh, Grecian by culture and some who were not. Some were Jewish by cultural background and some who were not. Some who were slaves, some who were rich. There was value in that diversity. All those members functioning together. Can't you see that there would have been a danger that some would look at some others and think, well, if well, if I can't do what he's doing, I, I must not be all that important. I don't think I'll participate in the body anymore. Well, I look at her and what she does seems to get folks excited. And I mean, I'm doing this work and nobody's getting excited. I don't think I'll participate anymore. Can you see the possibility of that happening? Paul saw more than the possibility here at Corinth. And so he's trying to remind them, listen, there's different members in the body. There's diversity in the in the body. God intended it that way. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. But there's only one body. When you look at your human body, there's diversity in it. And the the different parts of your body, they all have to they all have to work together. It's only by the working together that you can have an actual body. That's the definition of the word. The many members who function as one complete whole. He says there's value in that. You see it in your physical body. And uh, you've probably heard this before. It's happened to you before. You know, take your take your little pinky toe, man, and you stub that on something. Your whole body pays attention. It's happened to me. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking or doing. But, man, if I stub something, I mean, that toe gets all of my attention, my complete attention. I realize how valuable it is. At a moment like that, when other times maybe I'd ignore it. See, there's a reason that Paul is saying this, because there is a tendency, isn't there, to. To give more attention to one member or another member. And and sometimes it takes something to be stubbed, to be hurt, to cry out, to demand attention for us to say, oh, yeah. Maybe I should give some attention to that. He's dealing with that in the body of Christ there in Corinth. And he's using the physical body in a way to help them realize the dynamics of what's going on. What's his point? God only has one body. There is intentional diversity in that one body. And he's writing to remind them that there absolutely must be unity in all that diversity in the one body. There must be unity. Paul is concerned about unity in the church there at Corinth. You guys remember in the first chapter, he's writing to them and he says to them, he's gotten this report. That folks are claiming to follow after Paul and to follow after Peter and to follow after this one and that one, you know, and he says, hmm, you should all be speaking the same thing. So that's his impetus as he begins. He's like, listen, you guys are kind of going off in some different directions. He's concerned that they're not quite unified. You remember in chapter 11, 
He's talking about the church there. And he says, uh, look at verse number 18, chapter 11 in verse number 18. Of course, he's talking about the Lord's Supper here. And he says in verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. He's really concerned about the unity in the church. And part of the division that you read about in chapter 17 probably had to do with people's social status. You know, there were people who had a whole lot. And so he says that they were eating and drunken. They were being well fed. And then there were others who would show up and be hungry. And there's a social distinction between these folks. And he's saying, man, I know that you guys have sort of different capacities socially and financially and all that. But in the church, you're supposed to be one. And so then he comes back to it here, this idea of unity. And he's talking about in the context of their diversity of all various kinds of diversity. And he makes the point that even with that diversity, they're supposed to. Be unified. Look at verse number 19. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 19. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? You can't have a whole body. Everybody being the same. If all if if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. All this diversity, still only one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's the word he used. Are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be. See what he says here? No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What is he saying here? A body, by definition, has multiple parts, diverse parts. And you need to respect the fact He's saying to them, you need to respect the fact that that diversity doesn't make one more or less valuable. Even the ones that we might in our own minds think are less valuable are, listen to his word, indispensable. We couldn't have a body function the way it's supposed to without it. There are times where uh, scientists get the idea that we have body parts that we don't really need. And I said, well, you know, that's we'll just cut that off. Well, then they find out that that body part did something that they didn't appreciate. God didn't give us anything that we don't need. I mean, everything he put on my body, I'd like to keep it as long as I can, please, because it does something. And just because you don't recognize the value of it doesn't mean it doesn't have a value. And then, you know, when you find out the value of it, when you lose it. I was uh, I was 17 the first time I went to New York. I spent a lot of time on farm in Mississippi. My folks are from Arkansas. We would go back to Arkansas, spend a lot of time on farms, small towns, stuff like that. St. Louis is just a southern city up in the north. I mean, it's in the Midwest there, but it's a really kind of southern place, man. I went to New York at 17. I'm going to tell you, that place made an impression on me. But the thing that impressed me the most, I thought, Well, these people live like animals and don't even know it. 
That was my honest thought. Now, you'll forgive me if you're from New York. I'm just telling you that was my honest thought because people were like all piled on top of each other, you know. And here's the thing. Folks were throwing garbage literally out the window, garbage bags out the window, falling down on the sidewalk below. And there were trash bags piled up about as high as I was. And I said to somebody, man, what in the what are they doing? And they said. The sanitation department is on strike. You know why that happened? Somebody somewhere didn't value the sanitation department. They never saw the people doing their work. They'd come through in the middle of the night, pick up all the trash and allow the city to kind of keep moving and functioning. And then when they found they looked at this thing and they said, you know what? If we can't be looked at and treated like somebody else, we're not going to participate. We're not of the body anymore. We're not going to do our function anymore. And the city just turned into a mess. Well, eventually they had to repent and pay those people. And I'm saying to you, there are certain functions that people have that we don't appreciate until we lose that function. Can I tell you that I've seen that happen in the in the Lord's church sometimes? Congregations where I've been, you know, we don't respect the fact that somebody has to get here before everybody else gets here and and open the doors of the building. And if it's cold outside, turn the heat on so we can all come in and. Somebody's got to take care of the landscaping and all that. And somebody's got to clean the bathrooms and all that so we can have a comfortable place to worship. People don't always appreciate that. And I usually been in a position to know who those people are and to know what they're doing and the kind of work they're doing and the sacrifices. Just that when they're doing it, nobody's there watching it. And so they don't appreciate it. And then you see somebody come into the bathroom and just make a whole big mess and just leave stuff everywhere as if somebody's not going to have to come along and clean that up. Well, and then when they do that, if no one does come along and clean it up, that same person who made the mess will come back and try to figure out what in the world is going on here. Nobody's. Well, wait a minute. There was somebody doing it and you didn't respect what they were doing. The smallest thing a person can do in Christ's name is indispensable. That should be our attitude. Everybody who has a part in the work of the Lord's church here at Lehman Avenue is indispensable. And it's very easy for us to overlook certain things. Now, Paul is making the point here that we've got some parts that are more comely. They're more attractive. They get more attention. And those people don't need any extra honor because you know what? They're going to get plenty of attention. If you stand up here and you deliver lessons, you don't have to go looking for attention. Attention will come find you. You don't have to worry about it. If you're teaching Bible classes, you're going to be standing up front. People are going to see you. If you have a position in the church, you're an elder or a deacon or something like that. People are going to see you and they're going to give you attention and they will honor you for your work's sake. And listen, that's appropriate. It's good. It's right. But we have to remember that there are some parts that are not quite as prominent. And we have to do the work of making sure they're not overlooked so they don't feel like they're not appreciated. You know, I um, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the seniors of a congregation. Folks who've been 
assembling for decades and decades and they did as much as they could in their day, but they've slowed down. And so now maybe it's all they can do just to just to get here. There was a brother. He's gone on now, but he was one of my favorites there in D.C. The brother had had a pretty bad accident. He had a hard life and he had a pretty bad accident, lost part of his leg. And and that brother was always the first person to be at the building. Now, it took him longer time to get ready than everybody else. And he would be the first person to get there in the building. And I just thought, everybody doesn't see this, but I taught my boys. I'm talking about Brother Ford. I taught my boys when they were really little. When you come into the building, you want to play with your friends, you go ahead and do that. But you first, you go over there and you shake Brother Ford's hand. Give that man some attention. You go and you hug these senior sisters. You go and you hug each one of them. You give them some attention because it's easy to overlook them. You think about folks who are new converts, you know, sometimes for a few minutes we'll give them a whole lot of time and attention. And then after two months or so, we sort of expect them to fend for themselves. They're not doing maybe as much as other people. They require more attention. And maybe in some respects, they're not contributing quite as much because they're not teaching the classes and driving the ministries and all that. Man, you give those people some attention. You make sure the people who are doing little things, you know, if you have your classroom boards and all that kind of stuff around here, man, you make sure you give those people some attention. I'm telling you, you will appreciate them when they're not able to do it anymore. You ought to appreciate them now. Help them to feel appreciated. This is what he's trying to say. There's this dualism in the church. There's diversity of all different kinds. And some of the diversity is in the work that's being done. But God expects all that diversity to work together in a unified way. And we need to make sure that those who have less prominent roles, as we tend to assign prominence, are not being overlooked. Can I tell you that if we do overlook people, that's part of the way that division happens. Can I just tell you, that is part of the way that it happens. That's what he's saying here. He wants us to make sure that we're not doing that because he wants us to make sure that we're not being divided. In verse 25, he says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the listen to it, the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He uses a word in these last several verses. He says, bestow, in verse number 23. On those parts of the body which we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. This word bestow is the idea of encircling, of surrounding someone. And he says, on the parts that seem less comely, we surround them with the greater honor. We just have to be intentional about making sure we do honor people who are coming and giving, contributing in the ways they are able. And we esteem them very highly for their work's sake, even if it's not the same work that someone else does. And this requires that we be intentional and careful because maybe sometimes it's not quite as obvious as what someone else is doing.
the idea of balance here. As you think about the work of this congregation, as you dream and you plan, and I've not asked about this, but uh, I'd like to think that you guys are dreaming and planning about what you can do to honor God and glorify Christ in this community and beyond. I have not talked to anybody about it, but I'm just going to say I'd like to think that you are. And if you haven't been, I, I really do suggest that you do. What is your clear picture of the manifest destiny of this work? What does God reco- what does God call it to be? And what are you going to do to become that? As you think about that, don't forget the parts that are less prominent. Because the body's never going to be everything that it can be unless all of the members are engaged and working together. The natural tendency is to give the elders a lot of attention. And they desire it. They de- Listen, they deserve it. They deserve your prayers. They deserve your support. They deserve your submission. They deserve your effort. They deserve it. The natural tendency is to give the preachers a lot of attention. And guess what? They do deserve some attention. I mean, they give their lives to serving the word. They give their lives to serving you. And they deserve to be supported because of that. And that's fine. That's good. But if every member were an I, you wouldn't have a body. If every member was an elder, what would that congregation look like? Everybody here is important. Everybody here has a part to play, an indispensable part to this congregation reaching its full potential in Jesus name. And if you sit there and you think to yourself, I'm not entirely sure what my part is. You need to talk with your elders. You need to chat with your preachers. My Bible tells me that God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists. Pastors and teachers, elders and teachers to equip others for the work of the ministry. That's their job to help you see how you fit in and what you can do and how your role is important. The balance. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody can't do the same thing. So don't get worked up because you're not doing what somebody else does. Figure out your part and do that to the full capacity that God has given you. And you'll be a blessing to the work here. It'll bless your life to have that kind of clarity in your personal ministry. It'll bless your life and it'll bless the work of this congregation. And this congregation will be a blessing to this entire community and the brotherhood at large. If you'll think like that, if you'll work like that. In verse 15. I'm going to conclude now, but I just want to mention something here. In verse 15, Paul seems to be pulling on a Roman fable here where he's talking about these parts of the body. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less part of the body. If the ear should say, I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In this Roman fable, what happens is you have certain members of the body that become upset with the stomach. This is a Roman fable. Certain members of the body, human body, get upset with the stomach. And so the stomach at a certain point desires food. 
And so it begins to growl the way a stomach might do. And, you know, the hands say, you know what, I've kind of fallen out with the stomach. I'm not going to pick up the fork to get food to the mouth. And the hand relents and says, okay, well, I'll pick up the fork and move the fork to the mouth. And then the mouth says, you know what, I'm, I'm not on good speaking terms with the stomach. I'm not going to open for that food. And the food gets inside the mouth and then the teeth say, you know what, I'm, I'm out on the stomach. I'm not going to chew that food. So you know what happens in the meantime? The entire body goes without. The entire body falls sick. The entire body dies because the members aren't working together. I have seen that happen in churches. You guys have never let that happen here. I just wanted to tell you that it's something that can happen. When you don't esteem every member of the body, you don't value every member of the body. When every member of the body doesn't see his or her importance to the work, the body just won't function as it should. Do you see your importance? I mean, do you see that you have a part to play in the work here? We don't have any parts of the body, the Lord's body, that we can just cut away and not suffer loss. You know, the way doctors think, well, I can just cut that off. Well, you cut it off if you want to, but there's going to be consequences. Every member here has something to add. That's why you're here. And I say to you again, if you're feeling like I'm not really sure what my part is, it's time for you to chat with your elders. See if you can't chat with your preachers and get some ideas about the unique part that you play in the work here the part of Christ's body here at Lehman Avenue, and then you need to get busy. You need all hands on deck in order to reach the heights that God has called you to. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for you and for me because he loves us, but also because he wants us to work with him and for him. When I read the book of Titus, I see that Jesus died to purchase to himself a people zealous of good work. Everybody has work to do. Everybody. And if you're a child of Christ, a child of God, then the work that you do, you do it with your brothers and sisters. And you do it in the context of a local congregation, but you do it for God. You shouldn't be found not serving God the way that you can. That you do it here, but you want to make sure that you're doing it because ultimately you're serving God. He is, He is the one who loved us enough to send Jesus into the world. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life for us. He calls us to surrender our will to his will, believe in his authority, submit our will to his will, turn away from anything that offends him, turn away from anything that offends him, and allow our will to conform to his will. He calls us to repent. If you're not a Christian already and you would like to be one, We invite you to make that known. You just have to say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. We'll baptize you to have your sins washed away. The Lord will add you to his one body, the one that Jesus Christ died for, the one that he will return for, the one body in which he saves people. And if you're here in this area, you'd be added to the church of Christ.
the part of his body that meets here at Lehman Avenue and the leaders of this congregation, listen, they'll help you to see where you fit in and how you can contribute. Wouldn't that be good to to be a part of a body where everybody's serving and working together in a complementary, unified way? You can do that right here, right here at Lehman Avenue. If you're a member of the church here and you know that you haven't, you just haven't quite been doing the part that you think you ought to do. You know there's something you should be doing. You haven't been doing it or you feel like I'm a little bit lost and I'm not really sure where I fit in. Listen, why would you walk out of the building thinking like that? Why would you leave today feeling like that? Come and get the answers. Come, change your mind, give your life over. Listen, talk with the folks you need to talk to. Get involved. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. If we can help you somehow this afternoon, we would love to. We'll stand and sing this song of invitation. We invite you to come and let us know if we can help how we can. Thank you.